Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. Eric Fawcett joins me on this episode, and we talk Florida's hard-fought loss at Rupp, uh, why there's some things to be encouraged about. We also get into what's behind Florida's scoring droughts, how some lineup rotation changes might uh, help um, kind of stop the, the length of those droughts, even against a good defensive team like Kentucky. And we'll break down uh, the LSU game, huge game for the Gators. Obviously, kind of get the sense that March starts now for Florida. Finally, we're going to take all the listener questions that we got from the uh, Twitter Q&A. Answer as many of them, I think I think all of them, but as many of them as we can, certainly, on the air. Uh, we did get some recruiting questions. We will talk those after uh, on the show after the Tennessee game. So we're going to talk recruiting next week. Um Ahead of the ahead of the Georgia matchup, but we hope you enjoy this show. Thanks for listening, as always. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, Florida comes up a little short uh, at Kentucky. I thought really one of the better played basketball games that I had watched in the SEC at least this season. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty uh, uh, pretty good take. It was definitely exciting, and uh, uh, obviously Florida had the uh, the drought that, that we'll get to. But I mean, other than that, it was a, a really competitive game that also saw uh, a, a bit of an interesting mix of styles between uh, Florida that's uh, looking to put more jump shots up, and then. Uh, Kentucky, who's who's looking to get things at the rim, and uh, uh, obviously, whenever you play a Rupp, their their crowd's going to get into it. And as much as that certainly sucks for the road team, it is uh, it is very satisfying when uh, when the crowd gets gets quieted. Uh, it makes it super. You know, when the, when the energy's there, it's uh, I'm sure it's a great place to be and everything. But yeah, overall, it was uh, it was a really good game that unfortunately the Gators just couldn't uh, couldn't come out on the right side of. Yeah, I mean, Florida takes a, a seven-point lead in the second half. Noah Locke had a really, really good look that would have made it eight. I guess they ended up getting it to seven anyway. Um, but uh, John Calipari calls timeout. Uh, and out of the timeout, uh, the the Cats get a bunch of buckets from Emmanuel Quickly, who... We talked about on the preview as kind of being the guy that had changed their offense a little bit. And this is one of those uh, deals where we were, uh, we were right. <laughs> Although I didn't, I don't think anybody expected him to, to post a career high 26, but they needed it on a night when uh, they didn't get much from their post players. No, I thought Florida did a pretty good job. And uh, uh there's definitely some stretches where like Tyrese Maxey had a couple like strong, strong takes to the hoop and then uh, was able to finish through contact. But, uh, but other than that, yeah, it was all quickly. Uh, he was uh, getting it done from behind the arc. He hit those, I uh, hit, you know, he hit those back-to-back jumpers that just like electrified, electrified Rupp. And at, at that point it was, you know, it was looking tough for the Gators. And uh, uh, one thing that like, you know, it's something I've asked you a couple times, Neil, when, uh, when someone has had a really good game against uh, the Gators, and I think it's always interesting to, to hear talk about, but I'll ask you, do you think that uh, Florida d- did the right thing the way that they guarded him? Are you, do you have a problem with anything Florida did? I'm just, oh, whenever someone like has a big game against Florida, it's always uh, always interesting to, to think about like, Hey, is there something they should have done different? Uh, or is it just like, you know, he, he, uh, he made shots and, uh, and you live with the looks that you gave him. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I thought that something Kerry Blackshear said in the post game about just being focused on on helping on Richards, and that they just weren't able to get out on him quick enough in the second half when he was shooting, made some sense to me, Eric. Because even though he hit those three bombs in a row and was four or six from deep, well, he was eight of seventeen from the floor overall. So, you know, he didn't shoot fifty percent or anything like that. So you'd have to say Florida did a pretty decent job on him, especially given how efficient Kentucky has been in the last month. You know, I also thought Florida did a nice job defensively pretty much on most everybody else. You know, EJ Montgomery did a couple jump shots he never hits. And uh, Tyrese Maxey, if you can have like a quiet almost triple-double, he had one. But in terms of what what quickly did, no, I, I you know, what about you? I, I wouldn't have changed a whole lot. 
No, I don't. I don't think Florida did anything wrong. Like I, I kind of mentioned it with Maxi, and quickly did it too. Where uh, he had a couple drives to the hoop that I thought were pretty well defended, but he was uh, he finished through contact. Yeah, uh, and that's something where uh, you know maybe you say like this is a game where where I do wish that Florida did play the two bigs together a, a little bit more often. And uh, uh-huh. there was times where Florida's, you know, like let's call it the the small forward or someone playing the three was, was Noah Locke and, and he did get blown through a little bit by, by quickly. But I mean, uh, he did, Noah Locke did defend well. It was just, they, they were tough shots. I mean, uh, the last three that, that quickly uh, hit, that was definitely like just uh, the one that just like really made erupt erupt. Uh, Cause it was just like at the end of his huge streak. Uh, they ran that action that they run all the time. And uh, I talked about it on the last podcast, but it's kind of like a very basic dribble drive move uh, that you see in that kind of offense to, to get a gap. And it's uh, it's Tyrese Maxey driving at Emmanuel Quickly's defender at kind of a, a, an angle while Quickly crosses behind him and Florida just wasn't ready to defend it. But he still, you know, he got the ball on, on the handoff and it was still a deep three and, you know, he hit it. But I didn't think Florida was particularly prepared for that action, which is like uh, the ever since I, I knew how to watch basketball is something that Cal Perry has done. So I, I <laughs> maybe was like, I maybe thought they could have defended that action a little bit better, but I mean, it still was a deep three that he hit that was semi-contested, but uh, yeah, o- overall, I will say like, I, I, I don't think that uh, Florida did anything wrong, particularly when it comes to guarding quickly and, uh, I, I mean, you look at uh, at overall, like Kentucky was only at one point per possession for the game. And uh, that was also artificially brought up by, you know, the necessary fouling at the end of the game. So, right. uh, so overall, I thought Florida's defense was actually really solid. So uh, there's definitely some breakdowns with, uh, with Kerry Blackshear, who I thought had a couple just, you know, very poor defensive possessions that led to buckets. But, uh, but overall, this, this actually was a really well-defended game. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. You know, Florida first uh, 13 turnovers. You know, obviously the Gators had 16 of their own, which uh, is is a high number for how they'd played lately. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kentucky, that was their lowest points per possession total in their last seven games. Or So, you know, and that's with quickly, you know, tossing in a career high. Uh one thing that surprised me about Kentucky, and I think we can move on to some things that Florida did, because we need to talk about Florida offensively. Um, they're not real deep, are they? Um, five guys play 30 minutes or more. Yeah, I mean, that has been uh, has been a little bit of the, the trend, and... Uh, yeah, that it's it's interesting to note because, like, I in a lot of ways, I do think that that depth is is overrated a bit by people. I mean, I think you look at some some postseason games where it's like, yeah, like some of these teams like end up pretty much going six deep, and it's it's kind of yeah. like who has the best five. It's not usually there's a lot of times where it's like you know some team could have the far better six to ten on the bench, and it doesn't matter because it's uh, it's your best five that are going to win the game. But uh, yeah, on a night like uh, on a night like that one, you can certainly point to depth as. Uh, uh, as a bit of a difference maker. Yeah, it's just interesting. I it's it's obviously a little different from what we're used to with Kentucky, I think. So <laughs> um you know, five guys playing 30 plus is, is definitely a little unusual for the Wildcats. Uh and John Perry did something Monday cuz I was like when Florida plays a big game, I like to go and look at the other coaches press conference like 2 days later. Um, sometimes it's one day later. It depends if it's a midweek or a weekend game. And I thought it was interesting that Calipari talked about how that was the best they defended. Um, because I think I think people got upset with some of Florida's offense. So the question I wanted to ask you was, do you think you know it was more about Florida's execution that led to the drought or Kentucky making some sort of adjustment uh, or you know some combination of both? Well, I was actually really impressed by Kentucky's defense after games I've watched this year. Kentucky hasn't been good. Uh, they're not good by the metrics. Uh, but what certainly struck me as, as something that Florida just wasn't prepared for or slash Kentucky just did so well was it was the pick and roll defense. I, I mean, when Nemhard and Blackshear went to pick and roll against Ashton Haggins and, uh, and Nick Richards, it was just like, uh, they just neutralized everything Florida was doing. It, it was something I, I wrote about, uh, 
uh, at Gator Country today, and that will be, that'll be up, uh, or it's up now if you are listening to this. But uh, uh, it, that was just something that just really struck me was was Florida's uh, Florida's pick and roll offense was just completely taken away, and uh, it was kind of doing what uh, what we've wanted. Uh, what we've wanted Florida to do, and that's just to uh, to play drop coverage and pick and roll. And and there was times where like you know there's sometimes a season like Andrew Nemhart and pick and roll has gotten defenders on his hip and, and gone into the paint, and then uh, there's just been he he's just collapsed defenses that way because his passing ability is such that uh, anytime a, a third defender gets involved in the pick and roll, uh, he's going to find whoever whoever got left, and it's going to be a jump shot or a, or a layup. But uh, Kentucky was able to just uh, by playing drop coverage. Uh, they were able to just kind of force Nemhard into the paint with uh, with Haggins on his hip, uh, and then after that, there's there's Nick Richards sitting in the paint, and it was either like a floater or a, or a mid range jump shot with a guy on your hip that's really tough for for Nemhart, uh, or it was just uh, uh, throwing it back to Kerry Blackshear, who uh, who did have some good offensive moments for sure, but it was just something that Kentucky was going to live with, and uh, I, I do think it's worth noting that Kentucky's pick and roll defense was excellent, and I just don't feel like Florida was was particularly prepared for uh, uh, for the defense they saw, even though I mean that's uh, that's always how how Calipari has defended ball screens because it's uh, it's the way they defend ball screens in the NBA, and that's what uh, that's what they're preparing for. Yeah, so those are great points. I thought Florida got one, like their first bucket of the second half was a really nice pick and roll play. And Mm -hmm. there weren't like a ton more, to be honest. Um, You know, one thing I thought maybe affected Florida offensively a little in the first half, and it's kind of a weird thing to say, but the way Scotty Lewis has improved Florida's spacing because he's shown the ability to knock down a shot occasionally and shown the ability to attack a closeout on film, I think. And I think it's actually improved Florida. And they, they've had more driving lanes as a result of it because defenders aren't sla- you know, slacking off Scotty as much as they were earlier in the season. So it just creates better spacing. Um, so I, I, I do wonder if the foul trouble, the early foul trouble on loose kind of hurt Florida from that perspective because um, they did seem reluctant to play him in the second half. Went with Trey Mann. Scotty only plays 14 minutes. And, you know, I think some, to some extent their ability to adjust on Keontae Johnson, who was marvelous, was about Florida not really having another option to attack the basket. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting take just because, you know, when it was Scotty Lewis coming off, it was, it was Trey Mann playing, uh, playing more minutes than I mean he shot the ball well. So it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an interesting note of that. But obviously Trey Mann, not, not as much of a threat um, attacking the bucket, but uh, – uh, yeah, and even with Trey Mann in the game, yeah, yeah. Which uh, uh, I, I also when uh, when Trey Mann in, came in, they did play that zone for a little bit, and then Mann hit just that uh, that really deep three. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, this these are the kind of games where I think you got to look and say like Scotty Lewis has to be effective. I mean, this is uh, this is athlete on athlete. This was a, a program that recruits guys like Scotty Lewis and has has them on the roster. And uh, I, I did just think that. Uh, uh, yeah, he didn't look particularly comfortable out there offensively, and obviously some of the fouls were tough. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a little tough. It's 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 a little tough for me to say that I, I think that that affected Florida offensively, just because I, I just don't uh, like you said. I mean, Scotty Lewis is definitely improving, and he has been shooting the ball better in, in conference play. But I just still can't really see that uh, maybe that him coming off would hurt the. Uh, hurt the offense a ton, but I mean, at the same time, this was not a great offensive performance for the Gators and, you know, he wasn't on the floor. So it's something that you could, uh, uh, you could kind of point to, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I think a better point was, would be that, <laughs> that Keontae Johnson, Andrew Nimhart, and Noah Locke went 0 for 11 from three point range. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that hurts. I mean, something that's, something, something that's crazy about, about Nimhart, And I mean, I've already wrote about it and we talked about it, but he is down to, five percent shooting from three on on guarded jump shots uh which is uh, uh, among eligible players who have shot enough attempts to be to be ranked scott uh, andrew demhart's dead last so that's the thing that's just crazy because he was such a good catch and shoot three-point shooter last year and and, and a lot of those were uh he, he did have a lot of those open shots but still he just hasn't been a threat and i mean uh, I, I do have something i want to say about uh, about noah lot shooting and I, i'm interested in your thoughts but uh one thing that I do not love about Florida's offense is that there is not a play in their arsenal uh, that gets Noah Locke freed for a jumper. Like they don't really, there's a regret at the beginning of the SEC season. They use this, like uh, they did have like a flare screen play for, for Noah Locke to get a, 
a skip pass for an open three. We saw it for like one game and it hasn't gotten back. And, but other than that, you're just not, you, you don't see plays ran for Noah Locke to get jump shots. So even though he's on this like crazy heater of shooting threes to start the SEC season or to, you know, throughout the SEC season, uh, Florida doesn't really have a way to, uh, to say like, Hey, this is where we're going to get Noah Locke shots. And because of that, I, he's out there taking some bad ones. And I, he had a couple off the dribble on, uh, on pick and rolls where that's just not Noah Locke's game. He had a couple in transition, which were like, you know, maybe okay looks and he has been hitting them a bit. But I, I felt like he was hunting them just because there's not really anything yeah. in Florida's playbook to say, uh, hey, like on this play, here's like, here's a floppy action, which you see in the NBA all the time for, uh, for Noah Locke to get a jumper. Or here's, uh, we're going to use Noah Locke as a screener, but it's actually a false action because then he's going to get a pin down to, to get an open shot. Like there's just nothing in that, uh, in, in their offense to get, to get him a look. And I, I think for that reason, there's, there's just times where he goes hunting shots, which I mean, I understand like he's a 51% three point shooter. Like he, he should be getting these looks, but if they don't run a play for him, I mean, he's going to have to hunt some of these bad ones. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm kind of surprised too. I mean, even like a high pick and roll, right? Would would potentially, you know, you think that Florida could get him a shot out of their high pick and roll. Now you talked about, you know, you talked about the uh, Kentucky skewed pick and roll defense, but then adjust, right? Play the two bigs and run a horn set and high pick and roll that way. And you know, maybe maybe you can get him in the corner for a three. That 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 often actually is an action that works. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of surprised that, that Florida didn't try any of that stuff. And, and uh, yeah, that's an excellent point. I hadn't really thought of it, but because uh, the one three that was in my memory was probably the best shot he took, which was the one I referenced earlier to, to put Florida up eight. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't even close. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating, you know, for Florida. I, we had one listener question that this is kind of a good segue to, which was that, let me get the right name. Oh, yes, yeah, it was uh, Gerald Villamare, who who's a longtime listener, said he saw someone during the game claim Locke was sitting because he couldn't defend Kentucky's guards. Is that you guys guess also, or was lack of offense on the day a bigger impact? I I, I don't think it had anything to do with Noah's defense. Rarely is there an issue there. Um, you know, yes, Noah's not an elite athlete, but I really think it had to do with. The fact that Florida was six of twenty-six from downtown, and and Trey Mann hit three of them. Yeah, the the thing about uh, the thing about Noah Locke is he really does have to hit jump shots to to be effective because I, I think he's a good defender. Uh, I would say he's like as close to like in uh, maybe an average defender as Florida has in the sense that like like I really just think he's like a solid defender. I don't think he's a better than average defender. I don't think he's below average. He's a solid defender. Uh, but on offense, there's just simply nothing he does well other than shoot the ball. So if his jump shots aren't falling, he just doesn't right. bring you value anywhere else. And uh, something that also needs to be discussed, it's uh, it doesn't come up a lot in like casual. This is definitely like deep cut basketball conversation. But you've got to also think about like what the opportunity cost is of having a, a certain player on the floor. So uh, you have Noah Locke out there who just doesn't bring any ball handling value or or pick and roll value. Um, and it really sounds like I'm just like <laughs> trashing Noah Locke, which I'm certainly not trying to do. I love him as a player, but um, the, if you have a player like that out there, that means you don't have another ball handler. And that is the opportunity cost of having a three point shooter out that doesn't do anything else. So, uh, so it's not just uh, he, simply put, he just really needs to be hitting jump shots or he's not bringing the team value. Right. And especially against a team that has, uh, that's really going to pressure you. Like, like you have Ashton Haggins getting into uh, Andrew Nemhard every minute he's on the floor. Uh, the opportunity cost of having a shooter out there who doesn't help relieve any of that pressure because he's not a ball handler, Noah Locke, like that, that just is a, that could hurt the Gators at times. And I think it did just because, you know, Locke wasn't hitting, hitting his shots. And uh, for that reason, I do think that things flowed a little bit better with Trey Mann out there who, uh, was enough of a ball handling threat that it just kind of loosened everything up, and uh, and the Gators looked a little bit more uh, more efficient offensively. But yeah, I don't think Locke's defense was a problem. To be honest, I thought he was thought he was okay on that end. There was definitely like I, someone someone probably saw Tyrese Maxey put his shoulder into Locke and hit a really tough floater and say like, oh, you know, like 
there's Noah Locke. That, that's, that bucket's on him. But really, it was like, hey, Noah Locke played great defense, and Maxie hit a tough shot. Yeah, no, I, so I was texting. Uh, oh, gosh, this is going to sound ridiculous. So I, I'm not – it's just a friend from college. I was texting <laughs> Brett Nelson uh, this week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Humble brag. I know. Should I even tell this story? Um, so I'm texting Brett Nelson about, about Holy Cross basketball um, because of one of my players. And, of course, I ask him about Florida – and, you know, yeah, and he actually – so I'm going to disagree with Eric, which is rare. I think Noah Locke is a good defender. And the reason I think he's a good defender is that he's fundamentally sound and he doesn't foul. Um, and so I think when you combine, like, maybe – like, he doesn't pile up steals, right? Like, he's not a guy that gets – like, Lee Humphrey got more steals than Noah Locke. So maybe Lee Humphrey was a better perimeter defender than Noah Locke. In that sense, but Brett said he thinks Noah and Lee's games are very similar for a lot of the things that Eric said, which is, you know, to some of our listeners, it might be blasphemy to compare anyone to, you know, a member of, of the Holy Five or whatever. But, but uh, I mean, Lee Humphrey was that kind of player, right? Like he just was out there to bury threes. And the way he shot the three to a point that I think Eric made on, on one of the last pods was. That was at a time when people weren't shooting the three as well as they are now. So it was even more devastating, right, that, that he could shoot at a 40% clip. Um, so, but, but I think the, the Noah's lack of any sort of foul rate at all, which I think is one of the best in college basketball in terms of minutes played and, and fouls given, uh, makes him a good defender. But Eric's absolutely right about, you know, and that's what makes it kind of mystifying that there's not more sets for him, in my opinion. It's kind of like, well, shouldn't there be some actions to get him open in a game like this where it's pretty clear that, you know, part of Kentucky's scout, if not maybe like the primary part of their scout, was, hey, we got to chase Noah Locke off the three-point line and chase him around. Well, I mean, I think you look at the uh, the early part of the season when Florida was still trying to play the dribble drive and – one of the problems was Kerry Blackshear wasn't getting the ball enough because there wasn't like a designed play for him to get a post up. And Florida saw that and said, Hey, Noah law or sorry, Noah law, Kerry Blackshear, uh, his biggest strength is, is the post up. Uh, we need to get plays to get him the ball there. And they made the adjustment. So now I just see that Noah Locke is uh, one of the best catch and shoot players in the country, but there's just not an actual opportunity in the offense where it's like, Hey, this is the play we are running for Noah Locke. Like all his shots come either in transition when he, sprints to the wing and they can get a, a push to him um, or it's, Hey, they, you know, collapse inside on a pick and roll or when they're uh, using that chin screen and they get the ball inside uh, in their regular motion offense and they kick it up. Like I, I'm just uh, for the same reason that they said, Hey, it's not enough for us to just play our regular offense and hope the ball gets into Kerry Blackshear. We need to have designed plays for him. I just think they should use that same kind of thought process and say like, Hey, it's not enough for us to just, um, hope we can break down the defense, uh, get penetration, and Noah Locke's going to be open. Uh, they need to have some have some plays for him. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's spot on. The last people we should talk about Keontae Johnson. You know, obviously another fantastic game. He goes eight of nine on his twos. He was over four from three, which was kind of surprising because he had a couple of good looks and like he's a good three point shooter. What thirty six, thirty seven percent. So. But 19 points, 9 rebounds. Kentucky didn't have a lot of answers for him. They kind of adjusted in the second half. I thought offensively him and Kerry Blackshear played excellent. Um, I know Kerry had five turnovers and was upset about that postgame. But I thought, obviously, the, the one at the end was bad. Um, but I thought Kerry did a really nice job um, offensively working Nick Richards, working Nate Sestina. One of his better performances honestly i know he had some issues defensively he's always going to have those though i think we just kind of figured that out about him so your thoughts on johnson and blackshear yeah blackshear like like i mentioned i i think he had a couple kind of glaring mistakes but i also thought he uh, did play generally quite well and i think it's just when you play uh, a really tight game against a good team those you know those mistakes are are going to be a little bit louder but um, yep. obviously offensively the way that he uh uh, was one of the uh, one of the guys that could knock down some threes. Uh, that was great, and and he had uh, he had that one just like outstanding like bump to his left shoulder, spin over the right shoulder to the baseline, and and lay it in for the end one. Like that was like 
the best Carrie Blackshear kind of post score that, that that's kind of what I think that a lot of us just like love to see from him. And uh, uh, he did it against, uh, against some tough defenders. So uh, I thought that was really impressive. And, and, you know, Keontae Johnson was uh, kind of a little bit of the similar thing to Noah Locke, where I just kind of wish that they had a little bit more in the arsenal that was just kind of like geared towards getting him the ball in, in particular areas of the floor, just because uh, he did kind of go a little bit quieter in the second half. And I, I don't think that's, uh, that was him, you know, losing focus or anything that he did. It was just, uh, uh, there was just adjustments made by, uh, by Kentucky that after he had such a really good first half that they, uh, they kind of made some adjustments when, when Florida was running their stuff and uh, they didn't want to get beat by Keontae Johnson. And uh, there was also, you know, he had the one tough turnover in the second two where he, uh, he kind of drove, uh, attacked a closeout to, to the baseline and uh, left his feet and threw the ball away where the play just wasn't there. But I mean, Hey, we know he's great at attacking closeouts and that's, uh, that's not going to be a problem kind of moving forward. Right. But, right. Uh, and I think like you said too, I mean, the threes were, were good looks and he's been a fairly consistent three point shooter. And I thought that that was just like a bit of an anomaly and that's going to happen on the road. So, uh, you know, ultimately I do think that those two guys were, were certainly good enough to, to be Kentucky on the road, which is a pretty high bar. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, obviously, just you, you look at everyone quite up and down the lineup, and it just uh, just wasn't quite enough, and that's why it was a tight game. Yeah, we had a couple questions about um, the, the offensive stagnation, so we'll just do those. We'll combine them. Dominic Gravato, teams played better on both ends of the floor of late, but when we needed offense, couldn't get it against Kentucky. Florida isn't good enough defensively to go six minutes without a field goal. Agree. What do they need to do moving forward to avoid those stretches, especially the season approaching? We've kind of answered that, but I want to read the other one. Rich Coker, similar question. Seems to be a cycle during our scoring drafts of missing shots, clamming and tightening up, winding down the shot clock, and taking bad shots. What's the solution? Better sets or more aggression? I'd like to see Keontae and Nimhar be more aggressive. Eric? Yeah. Uh, well, the, one thing, too, about, uh, about Florida scoring drought and – uh, I, I'm not going to just try to like go on the podcast every week and, and talk about lineup decisions that I, that I think were poor. And uh -huh. I actually thought that they are, uh, I, I did think that there was uh, some decent ones, but again, you look at, uh, you look at some of the run where Florida uh, went on a really bad, uh, you know, seven minute drought. And it's like that Carrie Blackshear, Andrew Nemhart, Noah Locke, Trey Mann, uh, kind of like their their starters, just with uh, with uh, with Trey Mann in there. Uh, Trey Mann next to Noah Locke, a lot of the lineups just haven't worked. So that lineups at zero point six six points per possession on oh. the season. So so again, for them to go cold, that's predictable. Uh, that is what the data shows us. Uh, there was another uh, another lineup there with uh, when when Scotty Lewis went in for Noah Locke, but it was kind of the same other group. Well, that was at zero point eight eight points per possession, which is not terrible, but. Uh, but again, when you're playing a, a team that I, I thought played great defensive basketball in Kentucky, I mean, uh, that's kind of predictable. And then ultimately when Florida was able to finally get a bucket, it was when they had Quez Glover and Andrew Nemhart next to each other uh, in a lineup that uh, that's like weirdly been at 1.21 points per possession on the season. Uh, there's some of those lineups with Quez Glover have not looked great, but there's uh, when you get him in with essentially the starters next to Nemhart, uh, it's been super good. And that lineup got in the floor and Florida scored. So again, like it's it feels a little bit like looking into the crystal ball sometimes, because if you see a lineup that has been <laughs> 0.66 points per possession and they go cold, you, I, I can't be like, well, color me shocked because the large sample size <laughs> says that that lineup doesn't really score. And when Florida put in a lineup that has scored uh, quite well, uh, they scored and broke the streak. So, I mean, uh, I, I've got to say, I do think that that plays a little bit of a role, but, uh, also, man, like they had some, they had some open shots and uh, they, they didn't fall. They had a couple t turnovers where Kentucky really did make some good plays on the ball and came up with steals. Like Florida has had some really, really bad, you know, droughts. This one was bad because it was seven minutes, but like, I actually watched the plays and like, I don't think that it was like Florida's worst drought, if that makes sense. Like Florida has had some four minute droughts that I think were worse than this seven minute yeah. route yep. because I thought what they were doing was worse. I, I actually, I know it's going to sound kind of weird, but like this was not one of their worst droughts in my opinion. I, I, I do think some, some luck played in, but I'm also going to point to this lineup stuff where it's like, this could have been predicted to an extent 
And, uh, but yeah, I do, do you agree with that, Neil, about like, this wasn't like the, the drought wasn't as bad as the seven <laughs> minutes kind of sounded like. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of thought so. And I, I mean, I'm not going to parade the two hour advertisement for Kentucky basketball. That was Dickie V, but oh. I, I definitely thought like when he wasn't just talking about how Kentucky was the greatest thing on earth. You know, in his lucid moments, he was like, oh, really good look for Florida. They got to make those. And there were a couple of those in the drought where, like, I thought Florida ran and executed a nice set and and missed a shot, whether it was Kerry Blackshear missing something, you know, close to the basket or Keontae Johnson missing uh, two of the four threes that he took. Um, you know, I thought Florida earned some good looks and missed them, Eric. Yeah, I, it's uh... – sometimes that's going to happen. I know for Florida, it seems to happen a lot. And there's definitely some times where, uh, where I, it was like, Hey, like I just surprised they went away from this different particular offensive thing that, that worked and uh, something that why they kept going to something that, that wasn't working. I, I, yeah, I just, I don't quite see the same one as this, but I mean, at the same time, like it would be nice if Florida had something in their bag where it's like, Hey, let's, let's, here's a set that, uh, we haven't played all game and let's try to surprise them a little bit because it still was like mostly them going through the same, just kind of regular actions and, and hoping one would break through. And uh, it would be kind of interesting if they kind of had some other counters that they could throw in and who knows, maybe they, they do for matchup number two that they didn't want to show or, or something in the sec tournament or something like that. But uh, that would be the one thing kind of moving forward about like trying to break these droughts. Um, well, one thing I'll say, I mean, I would have loved to see a timeout, um, just the people know my stance on that. Um, but also I'd just love to, to have a play that's not in their regular kind of arsenal, just to, to throw out and just try to change the, the tempo of the game that way. Yeah. I was going to bring up timeout usage. I would have called one after quickly made the first three. Just cut it to four. Um, I was actually like yelling at the TV, call timeout, <laughs> call timeout. It's like, you could just feel it coming. Um, you know, it was like the weekend, and and I I don't know, man. I I was I was worried it was going to happen, and, and it did. Uh, the rough runs are sometimes inevitable. Ryan asked, "What changes, if any, does Mike White need to make to get the team playing consistently?" Um, and I, you know, I think Eric talked about one of them. You know, I, I just think Florida has to for a te- for for a staff that likes to quote data. I'm still baffled by some of the lineup choices like Eric is. And, you know, I think maybe that would be better. The other thing I mentioned in an article, I'll have it Saturday down South tomorrow is um, that, you know, Florida's kind of adopted this hybrid of pick and roll coverage, Eric, where like they drop some, they still blitz the ball screens too much with things that with, with lineups that don't make sense to do that. And then sometimes they use zone to kind of, switch into man and like i'd like to see if the, I, I think that three two has been kind of effective eric um and and i'd like to see them do that and drop the ball screens more effectively just because i think that works better with this personnel i think that would make them more consistent on defense even though i think they're improving some defensively yeah well i think one thing that just shows that that white is not super confident in in zone defenses is, is that a couple of the last few times it's been rolled out as as soon as they gave up a three on the first or second possession. Yeah, uh, they went back to man. And that's something where it's just like, if it's a good defense, you shouldn't be scared of, of one, three falling. And I see that with a lot of coaches, like from the level of, from watching the NBA where zone defense is coming back to college, to the high school team in Canada that I coach uh, <laughs> teams play zone. If you hit a three, they are terrified and they, everyone is so everyone's terrified of the three point shot these days. So a three falls and they, they have to get back to man as soon as possible. And I find that really funny because if you see a team give up, you know, three layups in a row in, in man, they don't say like, oh my goodness, we got to get to zone as soon as possible. We right. got to get out of man. You don't see that. So I, I do think that you see that the, the coaches that uh, that have faith in their zone defense, uh, can you can give up a three and they say like, hey, that's, uh, you know, we're going to give those up from time to time. Uh, let's stick in it. And uh, I just don't feel like Florida has uh, – uh, has that uh, kind of trust in their zone or, and you know, for white who hasn't played a long stretches of zone anytime in this coach's career, I just don't feel like he has great faith in, in zone defenses. And uh, right. Uh, hey, you know, you see Kentucky, they go to a two, three 
uh, Trey Mann at the end of the shot clock hits a 30 footer that hits every part of the rim and falls. And he said, Oh man, I bet I got to get back to man defense. Like yeah. as if that that three falling uh, negated the fact that it was a good defensive possession. I just, I, it's something I find really interesting about coaches. They are terrified of three point shots when playing so defense. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, and, and I think Florida has definitely been susceptible to that, but I still think they definitely should, should be more consistent with, Dropping their pick and roll coverage if they're going to play Kerry Blackshear 30 minutes a night. Um, let's see. Where are we at? Uh, CLT Gator, who has progressed the most on the team? I, I mean, I think our answer is probably going to be the same, and that's Trey Mann. I mean, especially just looking from, from start of the season, yeah, straight up just like minutes played and who's trusted. I think it's, uh, it's got to be Trey Mann. Do you have any, uh, anything different than that? No, I have no contrary take to that. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> Star Rock Dunk Top, Tyler. What round of the NCAA tournament will we need to reach for most Gator fans to forget about the ugly regular season? I'm thinking Elite Eight. Well, I don't think the regular season's been ugly, necessarily. I think it's been less good than it was supposed to be. Um, I know that people are probably going to be mad at me for saying that it wasn't ugly but i i don't know i don't i don't feel like it's been ugly um frustrating maybe i think it's probably more fair at, at times I, and i think the second weekend like i think i think if this team goes to the sweet 16 i think you would say it was a successful season given the fact that they're the 344th oldest team in the country or the ninth youngest depending on which way you want to phrase it uh, I mean, I look at North Carolina and I say that's ugly. Like, you know, like a right, team that was right. uh, preseason yep. kind of top five-ish and, and they are just nowhere near the NCAA. Like, to me, that's kind of ugly. So I, I would not call Florida's season ugly. But, like, uh, yeah, I think you said the right word. I'm frustrating. I, I do think it has been frustrating. Uh, but I, I would not go as far as to say to say ugly. I just, again, when you look at what's going on in North Carolina, like I, I would say that to me is a bit of the bar of, of what is what is ugly. But yep. uh, in terms of what'll make you know fans uh, fans forget about the frustrating season, I mean, I, I, there's definitely still going to be a good amount of people that if Florida gets to a Sweet 16, will say like, you know, it should be Final Four, and uh, there's uh, <laughs> it's it's which is you know, you know I do understand based on what what the talent is and but i do think you've got to adjust your your viewpoint a little bit during the season and uh, i think sweet 16 especially if florida did it aesthetically like uh you definitely didn't like if florida reached the sweet 16 by like uh like let's say florida goes on a, a a nice run here wins the games that they should wins a couple games in the sec tournament and they're like a seven seed and they play whoever is a 10 seed and they just like barely sneak by uh, they're in a bracket where uh, one of the teams that's kind of started the season hot but has really struggled was like this the third ranked team and, and, and Florida beats them but just barely uh, in a rock fight and then uh, you know Florida gets blown out I still think some people like that's a sweet 16 that I still feel like people might not be super stoked on but uh, yeah I would say something uh, something second weekend would be probably the uh, the answer for most. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just it's hard to make the second weekend, and like, you know, I I don't think that people necessarily appreciate that, that doesn't happen that often in many places. And you know, yeah, I mean, Florida's I think it, at Florida, part of the standard is competing and playing on the second weekend. But but uh, yeah, I mean, if you meet what what the standard is, then you know, I think uh, I think that's pretty good. That's just kind of my take on it. Um, the, let's see, we're just rolling through some listener questions. Uh, Jeremy Finnell, good question here. Do you think the loss this weekend uh, where Florida is very competitive shows signs of us improving or just the same inconsistency we've been seeing all year? Like, I mean, like, my stab at this, I'm interested in Eric's take on this question. You know, I thought Florida didn't play its best game and still had a chance to win at the end at Rupp Arena. It's a Kentucky team that's really hot. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that's encouraging, to be honest. Yeah, I would say, like, as much as these, like, uh, bad stretches in, in a couple of the losses have been, yeah, you know, frustrating, uh, I, I do think the battle that Florida has shown at the end of some of these games has, has been 
really encouraging. And Kentucky was another one. I mean, Neil, one thing we just like uh, haven't talked about, and I don't even know if I really want to, is just like uh, some of the uh, the calls at the end of the uh, the Florida game where they got fouled <laughs> instead of uh, out of bounds. But I mean, like yeah. if one of those calls, if not both, goes in Florida's favor and it's off Kentucky instead of uh, a quick foul called from the ref, uh, they could have found a way to win. And uh, you know, there's a time like where it was 40 when it was like a minute left and, and Florida's down by six. I mean, like I, I thought the game was over truthfully uh, yeah. and they made it, they made it, uh, uh, they made it close. And I, I do think that, uh, that they've shown just like uh, great intensity at the end of these games. And I, I feel like when we look back at some of the teams a couple of years back, it just seems like that was something that was lacking was just the ability to, uh, to really scratch and claw at the end of tight games. And, and this team really has that. I, I just think you obviously there needs to be some wrinkles ironed out. Like uh, in a game, you lose by two against Kentucky on the road. And you say like, man, all we needed to do is not have a seven minute drought. Like that's something that can be corrected. So I, I do think that that's uh, uh, I, I would say I was, I was a little encouraged, not like super encouraged, but definitely like I, I came away from it. Uh, you know, I guess more encouraged than I was before. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, that's right. Uh, let's see. ATX Gator. See as many times we shoot and nobody crashes for an offensive board. Is there a reason for that? I would imagine having at least two or three guys crash for a potential re- rebound would make sense. I think it's about a floor balance and that Mike White doesn't necessarily trust this team in transition defense. Eric? Yeah, Florida's transition defense has been quite poor this year, uh, something that I'm sure Coach White has not been happy with. And uh, I think just not sending guys to the glass is, is in, 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 and instead sending them back to, to get back in transition, I, I think that that's probably a bit, uh, a bit in the cards. And, yeah, I, I think that uh, I'm not super into – like some coaches are like, you know, like the four and the five, they, or they crash on every play. Or the three, four, and five, every time a shot goes up, they offensively yeah. – like, I'm not super into that myself. Like I, I, like Neil mentioned, I think it's about floor balance and like, uh, you know, if they, if a, if a three is coming from the left wing, uh, the guy in the left corner is not in a great spot to offensive rebound because the ball's probably going to go to the weak side. So, uh, I'd rather see that guy get back on defense. And I think that, uh, uh I think that's a little bit of what's going on with Florida. It's just the way that their, their floor is balanced is, uh, uh, yeah, it's just not always going to be conducive to offense rebounding, but I, I, I do think there's definitely a focus on, on getting back in transition. And uh, yeah, Florida's poor transition defense at times this year has definitely dictated that. Um, Colin Chapman asked if rough refs make the trip to the SEC tournament. I think they, <laughs> sadly, I think they do. Um, <laughs> but uh, as most people that have been to an SEC tournament know, that by the weekend, it's it's like a Kentucky basketball invitational. Uh, we had another question. Can Florida win the SEC tournament? I thought that was a really interesting one. Um, I should have figured out. Yeah, Gator Boss 904. Yes, Florida can win the SEC tournament. There is my take. I, I don't. I, I do think they need the double bye, which means they have to win tomorrow night, which we're recording Tuesday night. They've got to beat LSU to get a double bye. Um, and then they've got to figure out a – they might need 12 conference wins to get a double by the way it's shaping out right now, but 11 and seven might get it done. Um, anyway, but yeah, I mean, I, I think what they'd want is 12 conference wins to be the two or the three and avoid Kentucky till the final, but like get Florida, Kentucky on a quasi neutral floor, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, they could, they could beat them, you know, got to get Noah lock open. Well, I mean, who really scares you? Like, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like right. cocky, cocky, you know, Florida fan based on a season that hasn't gone great. Yeah. But I mean, you look at the standings, and uh, you know, Kentucky's at the top. I mean, hey, you see that game that Florida just played at Ruff. Uh, I'd say you you don't feel terrible about your chances on, in a rematch. And like you said, a semi-neutral floor. Um, uh, Auburn, obviously, Florida had their way with them, and then LSU, another game where Florida doesn't have like a. T- terrible dry spell they certainly could win so i mean you look at the teams at the top of the league and i I just think there's no one that i would be terrified to to play against i'm not saying that i would be like super confident in florida's chances against all those teams but there's uh there's not like uh there's not like the teams at the top where i'm just like man like florida just like really needs to avoid them I, i mean i agree with you neil like ideally you'd like to uh like to not play kentucky again but if it were to happen uh 
I mean, what would the Vegas odds be on a neutral floor? It would probably be Kentucky by two or three. I mean, it's not like it's right. Like it would be a tight game. So I, uh, for that reason, I would say like, Hey, Florida could absolutely win the SEC tournament. So uh, yeah. And that's, uh, I would say that all the uh, predictive analytics, everything like that would, uh, would point to that as well. That uh, uh, there's not really a lot of, there's not a team in the SEC that's like way above the rest of the pack and uh, Florida should like their chances against uh, uh, at least their ability to compete against all these top teams. So uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll talk LSU in a minute. Brian DeYoung, who's been a longtime listener, left us voice messages and stuff when we were doing that. Ask, uh, please discuss the development of the three sophomores in light of the, quote, Mike White doesn't develop players, quote, accusation from the hive. Um, you know, that's interesting. I, I, gosh, this gets back to the previous text message discussion I was having. And, and, um, the point that was made to me is that Keontae Johnson's the best player on the team. Uh, this is from a D1 head coach who says, Keontae's the best player on the team. Noah Locke leads the SEC in three-point shooting, and Andrew Nimhart has improved as somebody finishing at the rim and playing through contact. So I, he, he said, all those guys have gotten better. Eric? Um, yeah, I just kind of going player by player, I would say that like uh, you see that Nimhart has added uh, a much better ability to get into the paint and score this season. I also think his defense has definitely gotten a lot better, uh, especially his understanding of, of kind of help defense. And uh, uh, which I think is also when you see that Trey Mann has become such an improved defender in a shorter period of time, it's, it's definitely something I think that uh, they coach well. Uh, Keontae Johnson, I think I totally would echo your, your sentiment. Uh, The one player that I, uh, you know, maybe don't think has developed quite as much as is Noah Locke, just right. just in the sense that he just really just doesn't have much to his game other than the ability to shoot, which, hey, his ability to shoot is incredible and is likely going to make him a lot of money playing as a professional basketball somewhere. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I just I still see that he's just not someone who is uh, uh, can can really initiate any offense off the dribble. He's not someone who you can use in screen and rolls yet. So there hasn't been great development there, but, uh, or sorry, I shouldn't. One thing about development that I'll say is I actually do think that, and I know this is maybe just going to sound like lunacy to some people. I think the coach's role in development is very overrated in yeah. modern college basketball. Like when you know how few, like how many, how few practices these teams have, how little the coaches see the players in the summer because of the NCAA's allowable hours. There's just like, not a lot of time for like coaches to say like, let's get out the cones in the chairs and start working on ball handling. Like there's really just not a lot of the opportunities for coaches to do that. And I, I really think that the development arc of players is a lot on the players. Like uh, it, there's just not enough hours in, in the gym that they're allowed to have. Like, like during the season, during, especially during conference, the conference time, like there's just not a lot of opportunity to do anything other than prep for games or, uh, stay off the court and 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 do film so that uh, uh, you're fresh and rested. Like there's just not a lot of opportunity for development. So uh, I, I really think a lot of this is up to the to what the players can do on their own time in the summer. So uh, I, with so while I'll say like you know like I I think like some players have progressed really well, maybe some other players not as much. I I really do think that the coach's role in in a lot of people's eyes is overrated in development, and it's a lot of what a players are, are doing on their own time in the off season. But I don't know, Neil, maybe you <laughs> disagree or I, I am curious if you could also just say, well, like, what do you think kind of the role I mean, is there? Well, I mean, I think Preston Green has a lot to do with like Andrew Nimhart. Oh yeah. Stronger and able to fit. Right. Like, and, and that's, that's the point that Kevin Brockway made in the piece I wrote at Saturday down South about Billy Donovan. And, and, and I think, you know, it's something that you hear about John Calipari in that program a lot is that, there's an infrastructure and a commitment to putting players in a position where they can be successful. You know, what does that mean? That means that you have excellent facilities, you have an excellent strength and conditioning coach, and that you know, if players want keys to the gym, they get keys to the, the gym. If, if players want keys to the practice court, they have keys to the practice court. That there's a program in summer ball that's going to help them get better. That if they want to go play for a national team for a couple months – they're going to be supported in that choice by, by their staff. So like, I think Florida does those things. Um, and then, and then in season, I do think players improve from coaching. 
more than in the off season. That's kind of my hot take on it, Eric. And, and, you know, I, I think this is the year we've seen Florida players improve from coaching, whether it's Trey Mann or a guy we haven't talked much about, Jason Jatobo, um, you know, or, or, I mean, heck, I, you know, I, I think you could make the argument that Omar Payne's gotten better. I still think he struggles in pick and roll defense, Eric, which I think is a big reason that he doesn't play the minutes that everybody wants him to play. Um, but, you know, so those are kind of my – examples i'm not sure i answered the question really but i tried <laughs> no i'd say it's uh, i'd say it's sufficient <laughs> um coach's corner before we talk lsu because eric already mentioned that that he has an article up at gator country on a pick and roll offense and you know he he dives into a lot of things but he said you know he praised kentucky's pick and roll defense which he's talked about but um you know and this is one of those things where do you deal with Omar Payne's issues defensively because he can make up for it with athleticism as a rim protector and because Florida's offensive lineup – and I know Eric might take issue with, with my pain take given how good the one particular lineup has been on defense. But but uh, 1.63 points per possession offensively with that best five, and you're saying that a lot of that comes from the pick and roll? Yeah, I mean, uh, that was just something that that I started. Like, I never really meant to like get into uh, uh, get into this. You know, the the Florida's best lineup that hasn't played. Like, I never really like <laughs> sought out to write about that this afternoon when I was uh, finishing it. But I really did want to see, like, hey, Florida's uh, Florida's pick and roll offense just has not been as good as uh, recently as uh, as it has been uh, earlier in the SEC season. And when I you know looked at it, you could kind of see when things started to drop off, and you can see the difference in numbers and I do think one thing that's interesting is that Florida just does run two of these uh, kind of very opposite kind of styles of ball screen one is the spread ball screen where uh, the three players not involved in the action are are spacing beyond the three-point line and then they do that kind of Euro ball screen where uh, this is what when they play with Blackshear and Omar Payne on the floor where it's Kerry Blackshear setting the screen and uh, and Omar Payne is like sealing his man under the hoop and uh, it just kind of has seen like the games where they did that more often, that, that was working a lot better than the, the spread ball screen has been recently. Uh, and, and also one thing that's kind of, uh, this, this goes back to when they were getting Noah Locke out there to, to run ball screens to try to get him open looks. It's just like the numbers have shown that he hasn't been great there. So uh, I, it was just kind of a look at a couple of things that I think have, have kind of contributed to, to Florida's uh, pick and roll defense not being as good recently. And I, I feel like there's definitely like, some answers there to how it could be improved just like uh, based on their, their lineups and, and the, and what kind of plays they call. But uh, I do agree with you, Neil, like there's definitely some problems with Omar Payne in, in pick and roll defense. And uh, he was someone that I thought if they dropped pick and rolls with him, that it would work really well. Yeah. And that hasn't been the case all the time. And, and I think that he's uh, definitely got to, got to adjust there. But uh, I think that Florida just functions so much better offensively with him. And he also, uh, while he doesn't offer great value in pick and roll defense, he offers very, very good value as a rim protector. Yeah. And uh, for that reason, I think that uh, I, I do think he could be playing more minutes and, and bringing value to the team that way. Whether it's uh, with Blackshear or even just as the uh, the other big off the floor, Jatobo started to play more, which has gotten out of uh, gone away from from Payne's minutes, but. Uh, I, I just, I, I really do think Florida is a better, better team when Payne plays more minutes. No, I would agree with all that. Um, it's good, it's good stuff. Uh, so LSU coming into the O'Connell Center tomorrow night. I think really a must-win for Florida. It's a game that if the Gators win, they feel really good about where they are in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, not certainly wouldn't be locked up. Can't say that because there's just too much basketball left. Um, but but Florida would have another top 50 win. That'd be, you know, quadrant one victory. Uh, an LSU team that's 10 and four in the conference. So Florida would beating them would tie them with LSU uh, in the conference standings at 10 and five. LSU has lost four of six, but I thought played pretty well against South Carolina. A game they really controlled from from the beginning. 
Uh, they ended up only winning by six, but they were up by 19 points at one point in the second half. So it was kind of like, um, quite honestly, Will Wade cleared his bench a little bit, uh, and, and they have a big bench. They, they really play like eight guys. Uh, so anyway, uh, they've been a pretty good team on the road. Uh, not as good as last year when, when they were really road warriors, but they are five and four on the road on the season, uh, which in a year in college basketball when road teams have only won 38% of their games, it's a pretty good number. Um, your thoughts on Louisiana state. Uh, well, one thing that I think contributes to them being good on the road is the fact that they're like super not reliant on the three-point shot. Uh, so LSU is up to uh, second in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency. Uh, they were third until like a couple games were played tonight. And as I just updated it during this podcast, they, they have <laughs> climbed to second. Um, so they're definitely a great offensive team. Uh, and when you look at the numbers, like they are 246 in the country in three point percentage and 279th in the country in attempts. So they're not three point shooting reliance at all. Right, and because they kind of live in the paint. Like I just think that's a style of offense that is going to be a lot more consistent. Like if you're getting the ball inside, you're just not going to be, uh, you're not going to run as hot and cold around the rim as you are shooting threes. And I think you play consistently, and that's going to help you on the road. So uh, we saw that when Florida played them in the first matchup, that they uh, that they just kind of pound the ball inside, whether it's you know straight up throwing the ball inside to like Emmett Williams or Darius Days, or it's like Skylar Mays. Uh, running off of a ball screen or, or just taking a guy off the bounce or attacking closeout. Like, they just put so much pressure on the rim. Uh, we know that defending the rim hasn't gone great for Florida this year, so that's a bit of a concern. Um, but then there's the one thing that's just, like, crazy about LSU basketball. It's just, like, despite the fact that they have great athletes and great length, uh, they are awful on defense. They're 178th in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency, which is really crazy next to their number two offensive yeah. number. But uh, that just makes them such a such an odd team that like uh, you're just really not sure what you're trying to get because they almost let South Carolina score enough points to uh, uh, to stay in the game with them and uh, uh, yeah but that's uh, that's kind of the things that I've been uh, been thinking about going into this one. Yeah, uh, all excellent points. They they don't shoot the three particularly well. They did against South Carolina. They shot forty percent against the Gamecocks on twenty three attempts, which was a season high. Um, Darius Days hit four of six, uh, which, you know, if that happens, LSU's going to be very difficult to defeat. Um, Charles Manning Jr. is their best three-point shooter, comes off the bench. Uh, he was only one of five against South Carolina. Florida really needs to pay attention when he's on the floor because he's a guy that can that can stretch you. Um, you know, so that would be one thing. I think the thing that is interesting about them defensively is that like they have a really low defensive foul rate, Eric. So they don't commit very many fouls, um, but they also don't turn you over. So like teams will get their shots off. And that's the one thing you notice about them is like, not only will teams usually get a shot off and they really miss waters in that respect. Like it's a huge, huge difference um, because there's just not really necessarily somebody to, that's very effective defensively in pressuring the ball. You'd think that Javante Smart would be better at it. Uh, Skylar Mays is far and away their best defensive player. And and I don't think uh, that's really particularly debatable, even though they have guys that, that can get blocks. Um, so you'll get your shot off, and, and if you extend the shot clock and are patient, uh, they are prone to defensive breakdowns. Yeah, I do think you just need to make kind of multiple guys defend. And when you see these teams that, that aren't good defensively, uh, you definitely just want to make them like, do a few different things defensively. You don't want to just like take the first, take a point to wing pass and fire it up because you haven't made a bad defense uh, work. So, uh, and I, I wonder if like the fact they don't play a lot of guys contributes to them not wanting to foul or, or what it is. But uh, uh, another thing defensively is like, like it just feels like Florida played LSU like six times last season. Um, and it just seems like for that reason, <laughs> it was a lot of like, uh, you know, different defensive looks, a lot of different, like LSU played that one, three, one that they mix in. Uh, I'm really interested to see that, you know, when it's the second time around for, for Florida and LSU this season. And uh, the fact that LSU hasn't defended well, like I, I have to think that Will Wade is going to throw out some more of their different defenses just to like do it. Like when you're not a very good defensive team, you're playing the Gators for a second time. Like 
yeah, let's throw it a one through one out of a TV timeout or let's play man to start the game. And as soon as we get our first bucket, go to one through one. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see some stuff like that. Uh, although, like, Florida has remained awesome on offense against teams that play zone. So maybe some team that's uh, uh, maybe analytically savvy would be it would be uh, a little gun shy to do that. But, uh, yeah, I just think the way that Will Wade does things, he's going to change things up from uh, from the first matchup. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's really interesting that in in uh, Bartorovic, uh, Kim Palm has on metrics. Like, it really doesn't matter what metric or analytic you look at. Like, Florida is clearly favored to win this game. Uh, but we all know that, that LSU, you know, minus Nasrid and Waters is the defending SEC champion. They have won 10 conference games. I do think that they played a South Carolina team that's, that's pretty good, uh, or at least had been in conference play, I should say that, for the second straight year after losing, like, to Stetson. Um, <laughs> I don't understand Frank Martin. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is – I don't understand that program sometimes. Uh, but, but uh, you know, LSU, strong-ass roster – very capable of coming into Gainesville and, and ruining a party where I think a lot of people expect Florida to win. Like this is kind of a gut check game for me because it's, it's one thing to be focused and locked in at Rupp when you know you have that kind of opportunity, but can you come back home and, and get the job done? Um, you know, Florida has at times this year at home and then other times they've been lackadaisical and, and kind of like expected the Rowdies to play the game for them in the first half. And I think LSU is so good on offense, they're not a team you can get that far behind. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and going back to just kind of the importance of the game, like uh, when it was uh, when Florida had six games remaining, most of the like per, like the models for, for predicting the NCAA tournament bracket and what teams are in, it kind of had if Florida won the games that they were supposed to win and uh, even just lost the games that they were fa- so that was like you know beat Arkansas, uh, beat uh, uh, beat Georgia, beat Kentucky at home, and beat LSU at home. But then lose to Kentucky and uh, and lose on the road to Tennessee. Like uh, a lot of the models said that would put Florida in a position to be a seven seed, which is probably better than where they'd be at right now if the tournament started tomorrow. Uh, so you know Florida beat Arkansas and they just barely lost to Kentucky. Uh, but if they just keep winning the games that they should win. Uh, they're going to improve their standing in the NCAA tournament. So uh, yep. you look at this game against LSU, it's it's one of those ones that uh, the win would kind of keep things trending towards like uh, a seven seed, but a loss could, could keep them on like the nine line or, or 10 or, or something closer to where they are now. So uh, those are these are the kind of like swing games that are that are important. And uh, I think it's uh, it's it's good that you noted that uh, all these predictive metrics do think that Florida is better because uh, you, you know, even though LSU had that big run at the start of the SEC season, uh, they've kind of found their level a little bit and, uh, and and showed that, yeah, that Florida looks to be a better basketball team, even though uh, uh, there was a time where it, it didn't seem uh, maybe particularly close. But, uh, yeah, this is one that Florida is going to be favored in. And, and I see the matchup and I see the way the first the first game went, even though Florida did lose. I, I thought it was one that Florida probably should have won. And uh, yeah. now that it's uh, now that it's in Gainesville, I, I, I think that they're probably in position to take care of business. Yeah, I do think the staff gets up for LSU um, for reasons we don't need to dive into. Y'all can figure out what they are. Uh, Four of the last five games between these programs have been decided by five points or less. Or no, all four of the last – yeah, the last four games have been decided by five or less. Uh, Two have gone to overtime. Um, So, you know, I mean, look, if it's a close game – LSU's been really good in those this season. Uh, the Gators have been kind of hit or miss. Um, but, you know, I also think if Florida comes out and it's locked in and focused, there should be a really good crowd tomorrow night, sell out. So, um, you know, big opportunity at home. And, and like Eric just mentioned something, that's inter- if Florida is favored – in every predictive metric that I looked at today to win their last four games. So if Florida did that and got to 21 and 10, I mean, yeah, you're putting a seven or even a six in play headed to Nashville, where if they won their last four, they'd probably be the two seed in the SEC tournament, to be quite honest. And, and, um, you know, that would mean another resume opportunity 
in the semifinal if they were able to win a quarterfinal game. So, you know, you'd have you'd have maybe Auburn. So, I, you know, I think Florida can play their way all the way up to the sixth line, really, with what's left, and, and that starts tomorrow night. But, but I, you know, March kind of starts for the Gators tomorrow for me. Yeah, this is a really big swing game uh, for the reasons we talked about. So it is important, and I mean, uh, one thing I was going to ask you as well: Did you see Will Wade's comments on the uh, uh, on the schedule that he's not particularly happy about this week? Oh, I missed him. Oh, so he is. Uh, uh, he thinks it's ex- incredibly unfair that uh, that uh, they have to play the late game on Wednesday against Florida, and then they have to play the uh, the early game against Texas A and M on Saturday. Uh, and Florida plays uh, Tennessee two hours after that. But, I, uh, you know, I didn't hear Mike White complaining, so I just was, I was interested if you had a thought. But uh, if you want something to listen to, uh, you can go see uh, Will Wade getting very upset at the SEC uh, uh, officiating – or, sorry, no, uh, schedule-making, I should say. I think that's a weak-ass complaint. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, – uh, Will, I, I, I appreciate the respect from Will Wade towards the uh, the mighty Aggies because he uh, doesn't want to face them on on short rest from Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, short rest, of course, Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, it's gonna be tough, but uh, yeah, we'll 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 see how that one goes. So that'll be the major storyline after Florida plays LSU. But uh, yeah, there's uh, like you said, there's uh, uh, Will Wade, maybe not the most likable coach in uh, in the SEC the SEC ranks. Will Wade, man. Um... I don't want us to get like an explicit rating from Anchor or anything. So, <laughs> we're just, this is a family friendly podcast being recorded right before Ash Wednesday. So mm. <laughs> we're just we're just gonna move on and prayers up for Will Wade and LSU as they are ready for the mighty Aggies. Um, and and we'll sign off with that. Hope to. Uh, I'll be at the game tomorrow night, so if anybody wants to swing by 113, um, a rare midweek game appearance for me, but basketball season's over on my end. Uh, so, um, yeah, looking forward to it, and and everybody, uh, good night. Thanks to you, Eric, for, for joining me. It was a pleasure, and I uh, look forward to catching up after this one. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.